Well, welcome to our show. I just love that chanting. Uh, this is the Environmental Justice Report, <clears throat> excuse me, with me, your host, Janine Moloff. And, you know, tonight, I'll tell you, there's so much confusion and so many problems going on in the world right now, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> including my allergies. But there's so many serious issues out there. It's it's hard to know what to cover. I'm just going to be upfront with you. Um, so we do the best we can. Tonight we're going to talk about um, the water protectors. And the water protectors are a, and basically a sense of injustice as well. So the water protectors are environmentalists that have joined together with indigenous people to do just that, to protect water rights in areas where basically fossil fuel companies want to extract uh, often what's called tar sands oil, which is an oil at all, it's by two minutes coal, some of the dirtiest and most toxic fuel out there. And some of the plants they use to transport the tar sands, um, it really potentially endangers the water supply of these indigenous peoples, as well as all the rest of us potentially. And we're going to talk about how, <clears throat> you know, we have this kangaroo court system that is run by money like everything else here in the United States. You know, basically, while, so we're going to get started. So while water protector, Jessica, a woman by the name of Jessica Reznicek, um, has recently been sentenced to eight years in prison for her role in the protest against a tar sands pipeline project. So while that's happened to her, fossil fuel corporations, their lobbyists and corporate attorneys face no prosecution, even after videos surfaced demonstrating clearly lobbyists joking and bragging about how incredibly easy it is to technically legally bribe U.S. senators. And then they named them. Fossil fuel executives, their lobbyists, and their corporate attorneys presently face no criminal prosecution, even after it's become abundantly clear that they nearly destroyed the planet. Ironically, the evidence proving proving this assertion has been collected by corporate scientists under the fossil fuel industry's employ. And this uh, this particular evidence has spanned decades. And it clearly documents these companies not only knew their product was destroying the planet, but they they paid public relations firms to cover that up and to really mislead the public. But in the face of this injustice, these several injustices really, indigenous and white protesters are being attacked, mutilated, and prosecuted under statutes previously used to silence and incarcerate black protesters in the fight for civil rights dating back to the Black Panthers in the 1960s. So this report's gonna shed some light on the illegitimate escalation of charges and the overall brutal engineer, I'm sorry, and the overall brutality engineered and brought by the fossil fuel industry and their political toadies. And yes, that includes the courts. So while environmental activists face long prison terms or really minor offenses, that should be just considered misdemeanors with no prison sentence, fossil fuel executives and propagandists are left free to continue destroying the planet, and yes, we have documentation. Even the United Nations IPCC 
leaked report confirmed their worst fears, confirmed the fears that yes, the fossil fuel industry is the major contributor to not only what we call global warming or what I'll call global climate devastation, but basically to the destruction of a habitable earth. So these DAPL, these water protectors and other environmentalists, why are we jailing those fighting for the planet while we continue to enrich and reward those destroying the planet? It's a lot to take in. So we're going to talk about this first story about Jessica Resnick Check's uh, sentence. And this was in Common Dream. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. And it was written a few days ago by Brett Wilkins, who's a staff writer. And basically the headline is, as big oil execs roam free, climate activist gets eight years in prison. And one climate group asked, after they heard Resnicek's sentence, they asked this question, quote, how many years do you think any fossil fuel CEO will serve for knowingly destroying our planet's climate? Well, we know the answer to that, zero. So Wilkins goes on to talk about it. He talks about basically the prison sentence that was um, brought down by judge, by U.S. District Judge Rebecca Goodgame Ebinger. Now, Ebinger, Judge Ebinger is an alumnus of the Yale Law School, but apparently she learned nothing about actual justice there. So Jessica Redzinichek is a nonviolent water protector. She pleaded guilty to, quote, damaging equipment, seriously, at the Dakota Access Pipeline in Iowa. Now, the basically we're doing this, this woman and other water protectors are being handed down some pretty severe prison sentences. And again, the fossil fuel companies that cause this problem and continue to cause this problem, who are the real criminals, are not being held to account. So there was a congressional candidate named Rebecca Parson, and she asked this question, quote, why is Jessica Resnicek going to prison and big oil executives aren't? And it's true. So let's talk about what happened in this first case. U.S. District George, I'm sorry, U.S. District Court Judge Rebecca Goodgame Ebinger sentenced Jessica Resnicek, who is a water protector, to eight years in prison. And she also sentenced her to pay over $3 million in restitution on top of the fact that she will get three years post-prison supervised release. Now, this was after Resnicek, who's 39 years old, pleaded guilty to a single count of damaging an energy facility. So the legal history of the case, again, this is an important case because it will be used to further criminalize anyone who dares speak out about how the fossil fuel industry has trashed the planet. So in September of 2019, Resnicek and Jessica Resnicek and 31-year-old Ruby Montoya were indicted, and they were indicted on nine federal charges. And that included, dam, quote, damaging an energy facility, use of fire in the commission of a felony, and malicious use of fire. Now, before you get all worked up about this, listen to what really happened. Now, each of the women faced up to 110 years in prison. Okay. Now, keep in mind, the malicious use of fire is not what you think it is. All right? At all. So let me explain what really happened. 
Resnicek in 2016, according to the Department of Justice, quote, conspired, oh yeah, with other individuals to damage what's called the Dakota Access Pipeline at multiple locations. Now, the defendant admitted to damaging and attempting to damage the pipeline using what's called an oxyacetylene cutting torch, you know, the kind of torch you use in a welding shop or some artists use it, you know, if they're actually creating a sculpture out of metal. And um, this happened in Mahaska, Boone, and Wapello counties in Iowa. Now, she didn't set the place on fire, okay? She didn't commit arson. She was trying to damage the pipeline, the same pipeline, that because these pipelines often leak, will most likely poison the water in the area. So keep in mind, these two women alone are facing up to a, over 100 years in prison. I believe the figure was 110 years, each one of them. So of course she's going to plead guilty. She knows she's in a dishonest court, a kangaroo court, if you will, with a dishonest judge. I'll just say it. And then the question is, okay, this woman attempted to, along with her friend, to damage the pipeline. There was no loss of human life. No animals were harmed. No trees were burned down. It was just to keep this pipeline from going into production, period. Nothing else. But then since Judge Ebinger is so keen on conspiracy charges, where are the conspiracy charges for fossil fuel executives, lobbyists, and politicians who actually did commit a very dire conspiracy to keep the truth from all of us, which has resulted in thousands, if not millions, of premature deaths and the eventual death of the planet by basically lying about the truth regarding fossil fuels. And that truth very simply is this, the single major cause of global, global climate devastation it right now, and has always been, is the use of fossil fuels, period, nothing else. And the industry knew it for decades. And they conspired with public relations groups to make sure the public never really found out the truth. But Judge Evinger decided to use the terrorism sentencing enhancement on this minor case, okay? And Judge Ebinger, her uh, justification was that this terrorism sentencing enhancement needed to, could apply because, quote, not only the flow of oil, but the government's continued response were targets of this action, end quote. So that justifies threatening these people with over 100 years in prison, really? But the environmental community isn't having it. Environmentalists worldwide are calling out the system, and they're calling out Judge Ebinger for her selective punishment, okay? They're questioning a system that, quote, prosecutes as terrorists, people protecting the planet against the existential threat of a climate emergency caused largely by fossil fuel use, while protecting and rewarding perpetrators of what a growing number of international jurists call the crime of ecocide, end quote. Okay, the science is there, folks. Fossil fuels are the primary and largest cause of global warming, really global climate devastation, to the point where this, this planet could become largely uninhabitable. And we're seeing it now. We're seeing it in the insane, deadly storms that are hitting Florida. We're seeing it in the crazy wildfires in California that go on for months. We're seeing it in 
how basically people in uh, South and Central America are forced to migrate because their water has been contaminated by, ironically, mining interests. This keeps going on. We're seeing it in the fact that quite a bit of the Arctic ice sheet has melted. This is serious, people. And it isn't just about us. It's about the, the, the planet that our children and grandchildren inherit. Now, this gets better. The timing of Jessica Resnicek's sentence looks a lot like payback for the published Exxon videos that were issued by uh, Greenpeace. Resnicek was sentenced on June 30th, the same day that those videos were published. And that was those secretly recorded videos that showed senior ExxonMobil government affairs executives talking about bragging about lobbying and involvement with shadow groups. And the idea was to cast doubt on any scientific consensus about this growing global emergency, global climate emergency. All right? The fact is ExxonMobil and these other fossil fuel companies have known for decades that they are the primary cause of this global climate devastation. Okay? Um, the, the nation editor-at-large, Mark Hertzgard, um, said in a recent opinion piece that, quote, oil companies, the executives in charge of them, the propagandists they've employed, and the politicians they've funded have largely escaped blame, much less had to pay, whether through financial penalties or prison time, for the immense damage they have done, end quote. Now, before Jessica Resnicek was sentenced, she told the court that the reason she did this was that she was worried that the pipeline um, would further contaminate Iowa's drinking water because it does have a history of leaks. And that's documented in an article in 2018 by The Intercept. Okay? Resnicek was quoted as saying, quote, the toxins we enter into our waterways here in Iowa enter into the Mississippi, which enters into the Gulf. Going to this extreme was out of character for me. It wasn't an easy thing to do. It wasn't an easy decision to make. I discerned it at length. The conclusion that I made was that in my heart, this was the right thing to do. In my heart, this was not violent. In my heart, the laws that protect this pipeline are the laws that are violent. The people who are constructing the pipeline are ultimately the people who are contributing to the desecration of the earth, end quote. And she's right. Okay, I'm just going to call it out there. She's absolutely right. And again, this was documented, all right, again, by The Intercept in an uh, article that ran in September of 2018, uh, Dakota Access Pipeline Leak Energy Transfer Partners. It has a history of leaks. And the problem with tar sands leaks is that between the fracking fluid they use to shoot this, these tar sands through these metal pipes and the nature of the actual tar sands itself, um, it's far more toxic than regular oil products, all right? If it enters into the water and contaminates it, there is no method that we have to clean it up. If that particular water source is contaminated, at least right now, permanently. So this is serious. So what did the prosecution have to say? FBI, Special agent in charge for Omaha, a man named Eugene Cowell, uh, had something to say after Resnicek was sentenced. 
And he said that, quote, protecting the American people from terrorism, both international and domestic, remains the FBI's number one priority. We will continue to work with our law enforcement partners to bring domestic terrorists like Jessica Resnichik to justice. Her sentence today should be a deterrent to anyone who intends to commit violence through an act of domestic terrorism, end quote. Okay, but utter nonsense. The only things that she was violent towards was a piece of pipeline. She didn't attack a person. She didn't attack an animal. She didn't attack a forest. She just wanted to damage the pipeline so that this pipeline that, again, has a verified and documented history of leaks that can contaminate Iowa's water in that area, she wanted to make sure the pipeline would be stopped at least for a while. And so Mr. Cowell, Special Agent, FBI Agent Cowell, is saying, comparing her to a terrorist. I would say that Mr. Cowell needs to go back and read the Constitution because he's full of crap. Let's go a little further. The comparison of Resnicek's severe sentencing, when you look at it, comparing it to the leniency shown to the January 6th insurrectionist, you know, I would just say to Judge Ebinger, you've got some serious explaining to do. Okay, what Jessica Resnicek did is damage some property. And for that, she was threatened with over 100 years in prison, so she plea bargained, as any sane person would. But the January 6th insurrectionists were allowed to leave D.C. Many have never been charged. Don't tell me this isn't about big money, and I think that it's time to perhaps institute an investigation of Judge Ebinger. I'd like to know if Judge Ebinger has conflicts of interest or someone in her family that she hasn't disclosed. So let's look at this. Let's look at what's happening to these water protectors compared to the violent January 6th insurrectionists, the people that on January 6th, these Trumpers, they erected a functional gallows. They went with a clear intent to commit murder and hunt people. They committed multiple acts of breaking and entering at the felony and federal felony level. They committed multiple acts at the federal level of assault and battery. People were, were murdered, or rather I would say negligent homicide. They, you could say, committed treason. And I'll see any of these judges going off on them, but this woman attacks a pipeline and she's threatened with over 100 years in prison. But the activist community, they're not intimidated by what I'll call the kangaroo court of Judge Ebinger or others, okay? These, these activists know that these direct action protests, they can result in the cancellation of these pipeline protests just as President Biden stopped the Keystone. And then last week there was a cancellation of the Bihalia Connection Pipeline in Mississippi and Tennessee. Okay. The sentencing of Jessica Resnicek that came as there were indigenous-led direct action protests against Line 3 Tar Sands Pipeline Project in Minnesota. And they will continue. And keep in mind, the Stop Line 3 water protectors all face felony charges okay, for engaging in peaceful civil disobedience. Okay, I think Judge Ebinger needs to go back to law school. But I don't know if it's that really. Personally, my opinion, I think she's just corrupt. 
but it's my opinion. Now, let's talk about Echoside. Okay, what Reznicek and the others said is true. In fact, the, there is a crime, a new crime of Echoside. And, you know, let's talk about what it is and why won't judges like Judge Ebinger recognize it. All right. And this is something that is being recognized by the UN, actually. So um, there is, in Common Dreams Again, another article written by Julia Conley uh, titled The Moral Red Line, Legal Definition Unveiled to Put Echoside on Par with War Crimes. Okay, and it's true. And one proponent of, you know, the idea, pushing this idea that echocide is a crime, said, quote, it is a different way of looking at what atrocity looks like, end quote. And it's true. You know, here in the United States, especially if you live in a community that isn't suffering that much, you don't see it. But there's people all over the world that are suffering, that are dying from the effects of global climate change and global climate devastation. And all this was premeditated. Again, the fossil fuel industry knew this for decades, and they lied about it. They followed from the same playbook as the tobacco industry when they lied and said that tobacco wasn't harmful. Okay? So back in June, there was a panel of international lawyers that met, and they published an official legal definition of the term ecocide. And this is important, including in terms of Reznicek's case and other cases like hers, where they could get a presidential pardon, and they should. I don't think they will, but they should. So the idea of ecocide has been talked about for decades, and only now is it starting to be recognized as a crime, and a crime against the planet and a crime against humanity. So there is a group called Stop Echocide, and they have a campaign to create this new defin legal definition of echocide. And the idea is to, you know, incorporate, quote, the prosecution of environmental destruction into the international criminal court's mandate, which would make it possible for nations on the front lines of the climate crisis um, to hold big polluters accountable, end quote. Keep in mind, the nations on the front lines of this climate crisis, the ones that are suffering the most, are the ones that are least responsible for the carbon emissions and the industrial pollution that is destroying the planet. Okay? So, there, first we'll talk about this. this is one professor, Professor Philippe Sands from the University College in London. He is also the co-chair of the expert drafting panel convened by Stop Ecocide, and he really evokes the memory of the Nuremberg Court. And this is not hyperbole, it's accurate. According to Philippe Sands, quote, the time is right to harness the power of international criminal law to protect our global environment. 75 years ago, crimes against humanity and genocide were spoken for the first time in Nuremberg's courtroom 600. And my hope is that this group will be able to draw on experience since that day to forge a definition that is practical, effective, and sustainable, and that might attract support to allow an amendment to the International Criminal Court statute, statute to be made. And keep in mind, the United States has never signed on to the International Criminal Court. Apparently, our federal government thinks they're above the law. We should be signatories, but we're not. So this panel then went on and they created what they call two thresholds, which have to be met in order to progress with an ecocide prosecution in the International Criminal Court. And so the two thresholds that have to be met are, one, 
quote, the perpetrators must have knowledge of substantial likelihood of severe widespread or long-term damage, and two, actions must be unlawful or wanton, end quote. And what we're going to discover as I talk through this program is that both conditions have been met, and the fossil fuel industry and their enablers are guilty as hell. Okay? So let's talk about the first one, to allege ecocide. All right. So the first group to allege the crime of ecocide is a tiny South Pacific island nation called Vanuatu. And representatives for this South Pacific island nation um, were the first to demand that ecocide be internationally criminalized alongside war crimes. And this happened when the EU Ambassador John Licht uh, addressed the International Criminal Court's Assembly of States Parties in December of 2019. In the words of, of the European Union Ambassador John Lick, addressing the International Court in 2019, quote, we believe this radical idea merits serious discussion, end quote. And he's right, okay? There were also some calls from leaders in the Maldives. Um, basically, both island nations, Maldives and Vanuatu, face some really imminent risk of, of not being able to survive. Um, approximately 80% of the Maldives islands stand only three feet above sea level. And 97% have reported uh, shoreline erosion of a massive amount. So while the Maldives and Vanuatu are the least responsible, the USA, China, and Russia are the most guilty offenders. Okay? No shock there. The Maldivian diplomat, a man named Ahmed Salim, was quoted as saying, quote, we see no serious efforts on the part of large emitting countries to save humanity from the impending climate change catastrophe, end quote. And he's right. Now, the group Stop Ecocide is somebody named Jojo Mehta. And apparently Mehta was on CNBC. And basically Mehta said that less than two years after these calls came from Maldives and Vanuatu, um, you know, Mehta went on to say, quote, this conversation is no longer falling on deaf ears and indeed is actually gathering momentum at quite a pace. Even French President Emmanuel Macron kind of weighed in. Um, he called for ecocide to be prosecuted at the International Criminal Court. Belgium ambassadors also brought this up in an official statement to the ICC in 2020. Political parties in Sweden, the Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, and the UK have also supported these calls to list ecocide as a crime that could be prosecuted in the International Criminal Court. Another law professor, Rachel Colleen, who is a law professor at Queen's University, Belfast, told CNBC, quote, if we had ecocide, in other words, recognized by the ICC, what it might mean is that you could prosecute crimes against the environment potentially without there needing to be a connection to some widespread human atrocity. It is no different, it is a, I'm sorry, it is a different way of looking at what atrocity looks like. She's right. Now, Jojo Mehta, Stop Ecocide, also talked about the UN's role against the worst offenders. And Mehta said the biggest contributors to global climate change, the biggest emitters, of carbon could be referred to the ICC by the United Nations Security Council. 
especially if the court included in its mandate, um, included this charge in their mandate, that, that crime of ecocide, in other words. Um, and even though the U.S. and Russia are not signatories of the ICC's Rome Statute, um, the ecocide charges could still be preferred. All right? Uh, and it's needed to draw a moral red line. Okay? They were talking about the destruction of the Earth. So, again, Jojo Mehta told CNBC, quote, at the moment, if you are campaigning for human rights and social justice, at least you know that mass murder and torture are beyond the pale. They are criminal and they are condemned. But if you're in the environmental arena, you don't have that. You're standing on a void. There's a missing foundational piece that says this much damage is simply not allowed, end quote. So if the International Criminal Court recognizes ecocide, um, it could lead not only to these, these trials, but it could lead to possible reparations for countries like Vanuatu and the Maldives and other nations that have been damaged by these high-polluting nations. And it's way overdue. Uh, Professor Sands also added, quote, none of the international laws protects the natural world as an end in itself. This draft law is not only anthropocentric, it is also ecocentric. It's, I'm not starry-eyed about law. The mere adoption of a text does not stop horrors, but it can change consciousness, end quote. And I think that's what they're really trying to do. They're trying to bring about this awareness as well. So there's another article here. And again, this one is written by, sorry, again, Mark Hertzgard. All right. And the uh, headline is, Big Oil Should Be Prosecuted for the Crimes Against Humanity. And this goes hand in hand with the proposition that ecocide should be a, a, a crime that can be prosecuted in the International Criminal Court. And I say it's long overdue. So let's see what he has to say. So Hertzgard explains that even though big fossil fuel knew that their product was destroying the environment eventually for decades now, they became a little more worried in the 90s. So these oil companies, big fossil fuel, they spent millions and millions of dollars on public relations campaigns. And the whole idea, just like the Exxon lobbyist said, was to confuse people, confuse the press, confuse politicians, confuse judges, the public, about the dangers that fossil fuels bring to our existence on this, you know, piece of rock. And, you know, this is, to me, looks like additionally a conspiracy. Um, and then it gets into more of this, all right? So this article is part of the Guardian series that they call new, they call their, their climate crime series. Okay, and I think that's very apt. The, we are talking about climate crimes, and the idea is they're investigating how fossil fuel, how the fossil fuel industry, not only contributed to, but really caused the climate crisis. They lied to the public, especially the American public, and you know, now they basically said that quote every person on Earth today is living in a crime scene. End quote. And it's true. It's been going on for decades. All right. Um, and it threatens our descendants. But yet the criminals responsible are being rewarded. They've got stock options. You know, they can evade their taxes. And meanwhile, little people, they're 
Jessica Resnichak, and other water protectors that are getting no financial anything out of this are being threatened with, with 100 years in jail. Okay. Again, I'm pointing that out because this, this horrible injustice. Okay. So this crime that has been committed by the fossil fuel industry has killed quite a few people. It's caused billions of dollars in economic damage. It's ravaged uh, ecosystems, wildlife. It's really hurt marginalized communities. In other words, low-income communities, communities of color worldwide, whether it's farmers in Bangladesh, um, because the sea is rising so fast that it's basically um, destroying their rice yield because the salt water is going onto their fields, to, you know, low-income people in Houston, Chicago, and other cities, um, you know, where, again, there's an increase in asthma deaths and, and you know, again, this is just dumping on people because you can. And this is something that we have to do something about. So evidence, so let's kind of backtrack a little bit, all right? You know, again, I brought up the whole idea of comparing the prosecution of water protectors and throwing the book at them and giving them over, a, threatening them with 100 years in jail to the January 6th insurrectionists that are being slapped on the wrist to now big fossil fuel that's getting no penalty at all, all right? So when did this really come into the public consciousness, if you will? Well, Big Fossil Fuels Crimes Against Humanity really broke open in 2015. Because then, in 2015, the following groups um, blew it open because they traced the crime link to ExxonMobil, who at that time was the world's largest oil company. And that was the Los Angeles Times, Inside Climate News, and the Columbia Journalism School. Okay. And they got a hold of some internal records that showed that by the late 1970s, Exxon's own scientists, scientists that Exxon employed, were giving these briefings to top executives. And they were saying that man-made global warming was real, it had the potential to be catastrophic, and yes, it was caused for the most part by burning fossil fuels. These are the people in their own employ. So when this story broke, climate activists, you know, launched this hashtag, hashtag Exxon New. Okay? So that triggered more investigations that also found that Chevron, Shell, BP, and other fossil fuel companies also knew that their products threatened to basically bring the Earth's climate to a point where it's uninhabitable. Okay? They all knew. And they all chose to lie. Now, if that's not a conspiracy at a criminal level, I don't know what is. Okay? But again, they in the 1990s, they spent all this money on these silly public relations campaigns. And, you know, while technically, it may have been technically legal, these PR campaigns, it shouldn't have been. Okay? These oil companies should not have been allowed to lie about the nature of their product. They shouldn't have been allowed to basically monkey with scientific evidence, okay, that's, that's evidence tampering. And, of course, the U.S. Congress did practically nothing because, let's face it, both Republicans and Democrats, especially corporate Democrats, they both get political contributions. In another world where we have honesty, they would be called bribes 
to make sure that nothing bad happens to these fossil fuel giants. Okay? And so now we have a real problem here, and they've wasted decades, okay, to put, and then to make matters worse, okay, the actual news media, the corporate news media, didn't bother with this story too much either until the story became so big in 2015 that they had to report on it. But prior to that, the idea that fossil fuel companies were lying and the, the narrative about climate change, it was all big lie, covering it up. Most news outlets didn't even bother to incorporate it, even in their coverage of climate change. They should have, but again, there's a conflict of interest there. Bill McKibben, who is a noted environmentalist and a noted journalist, explained the following, quote, Exxon could have ended the pretend debate over climate change as early as the 1980s when scientists like NASA's Jim Hansen first raised public awareness of climate change, I think in 1988, think of what would have happened if Exxon's chief, chief executive had gone to Congress too and said that their internal scientific efforts showed precisely the same thing, end quote. Good question. All right. So these revelations in 2015 were big, but there wasn't much follow-up in the mainstream coverage. In fact, television media pretty much ignored it, all right? And that is as documented by MediaMatters.org, okay? Um, New York Times did an article, Network Evening News Programs Yet Address What Exxon Knew About Climate Change. There were a few stories, but they didn't do much with it, okay? So we can't get back the 40 years we've lost, all right? And so... Now we have a real problem, okay? And for the record, Mark Hertzgard is an environmental correspondent, investigative editor um, at The Nation. He's also a co-founder of Covering Climate Now. He's covered climate change since 1989, uh, reporting from 25 countries and much of the U.S. So he knows his stuff. So now we're going to skip ahead here. And we're going to talk a little more about how these water protectors have been harassed, all right? Um, in truth out, there was a piece published back here in June, written by Candace Byrne, and the headline is, Line 3 Water Protectors Launch Occupation at Mississippi River Pipeline Easement, okay? And Byrne talks about the fact there was this really violent, brutal crackdown um, where police, um, in conjunction with what's called the 16-County Northern Lights Task Force, okay, they arrested more than 200 water protectors who were basically protesting against the Line 3 pipeline, and that's the pipeline that it would be at the Inland Pump Station, which is north of Park Rapids, Minnesota. And among these people are indigenous leaders. Now, keep in mind, some of the places they want to put pipelines on are indigenous lands. So our government, not these corporations, but our government allowing this to happen is also breaking treaty law, treaties that we've had for a long time now. But, again, no shock there. Um, so then this was early June. 24 water protectors were also arrested. Um, 
<clears throat> reported by the Washington Post, surprise, surprise, they lost themselves to construction machinery at the pump station. And another 24 locked themselves to a boat, and this boat blockaded the access road. And there were sheriffs that were, um, that came around. A lot of the sheriffs that were doing this were funded, here's where it gets tricky, by the Alberta Canada-based Enbridge Energy. And this was through a public safety escrow account, and again, as reported by The Intercept. And that's when they they deployed this low-flying um, helicopter against the water protectors, and they blasted them with dirt and rocks. And that, um, that helicopter came from Department of Homeland Security. They also used an LRAD device, which is long-range uh, long acoustic device, which basically deafens you. The LRAD device has been proven to cause permanent hearing loss. So much for their non-lethal weapons. And why? Because these people chained themselves to something. Okay? Um, and once again, I have a question as to why um, the sheriffs accepted funding from Enbridge Energy. This is another example of those public-private partnerships. Again, companies should not have undue stay in what happens under the law. It's a conflict of interest, but again, they don't care. So these direct actions were, they happened after there was this treaty people gathering um, in northern Minnesota, and the whole idea was this meeting to fight this $4 billion tar sands pipeline, okay? Now, Northern Lights Task Force officials, guys, what a name, Northern Lights Task Force, you don't really know who they are. Um, they claim that the DHS helicopter was used to announce a dispersal order, but it wasn't used to force dispersal. In other words, it wasn't meant in a punitive way. Well, why would you need a helicopter to announce a dispersal order? You could do the same thing with, you know, uh, um, some sort of a, a, a mic, some amplification device on the land. And it doesn't address the fact that they hauled sand and rocks at these people, which coming from a helicopter become very dangerous projectiles. You could take someone's eye out with it. Um, and again, the announcement was so loud that most of the water protectors couldn't hear it anyway. Okay? So, and even if they had heard it, they had good reason to be skeptical because records obtained by the Intercept um, explains that the task force, quote, carried out extensive preparations for helicopter and drone operations in the year leading up to construction via subcommittee dedicated specifically to air operations, end quote. So basically, Homeland Security is working against us and for big money. All right, these people weren't doing anything violent. It didn't need to escalate to that. But they're trying to send a message. They're trying to criminalize, and they are. They're criminalizing dissent. And it wouldn't be the first time that police officers created charges that really didn't happen. We know that the police lie frequently. Okay? So once again, they're trying to make sure that people are so intimidated that they will never question anything. And this is serious, people. So on that Monday, some 1,500 people marched toward the pipeline easement site. 
And this is where the Enbridge Corporation wants to drill, under the Mississippi River. Now, I've written about tar sands before when I was still publishing on Huffington Post. And the problem is this. Um, well, it was a problem with the Keystone. <clears throat> the part of the Keystone, for instance, they wanted to, again, place the pipeline underground, but it was on land that was so so sandy that part of the pipeline um, could have been, you could have just dug it with a little shovel, okay, and gotten to the pipeline. And it would go right under the largest aquifer in the United States. And one of the ways people in the Midwest get their water is through this underground water, what's called an aquifer. And if the pipeline broke, you know, that water source would be ruined permanently. Um, so that's why I'm the keystone. These people are protesting the same technique, okay? It's stupid to put it underground where it could damage water sources. Utterly stupid. Um, so these 1,500 people marched, 200 people walked onto the site, and they created this encampment, okay, about 100 tents there. Um, indigenous water protectors were with the RISE Coalition. They were leading the occupation along with uh, people from other tribes across the continent. So uh, the founder of the Leech, La Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, oh my goodness, her name's Nancy Bilo, Nancy Below, okay? She she's the Rise Coalition co-founder. Let me go back to that. Okay. Nancy Below, who's the Rise Coalition co-founder, said, quote, we are going to stay here and protect our natural elements. Um, we need more people to come. We have a right to occupy. This is 1855 treaty territory. So even non-native people that are down there, they are our guests. And they have a right to be here, and they are honoring those treaties by holding space with us today. See, that's another legal consideration that the good judge forgot about. In this particular instance, um, where we're talking about in Mississippi, there was indigenous treaties. And I'd be willing to bet that in the Resnicek case, there was also. But once again, the United States government has no problems breaking treaties they made with indigenous people of color. All right. so. And the, this encampment, they really are standing up for what they call Anishinaabe, I cannot pronounce this and I apologize, Anishinaabe Treaty Rights. And that um, basically the treaties occurred in 1854 and 1855. They guaranteed tribal access to ceded lands in order to hunt, fish, and gather, okay, including to do so off reservation. And Truthout reported that several tribes have established these indigenous-led pipeline resistance camps, including in northern Minnesota. They're talking about treaty authority codes um, that are that basically, pardon the pun, that trump any violations like trespass. Okay? Um, so Bilio went on to say those treaties, quote, those treaties are very much alive today as the day they were signed, and they're legal and binding. We feel it's settler-descended people's responsibility to uphold those treaties and stand as a friendly neighbor in peace. There's that misconception that settlers gave us some land, gave us the right to hunt, travel, and gather and fish, when in re reality we gave those rights to settlers because there's a lack of truth in America and your history books. We have become the forgotten people and not one treaty has been honored, end quote. And she's right. So once again, um, the police 
with their cannons, their tanks, their acoustic devices are attacking these peaceful, these nonviolent protesters. Okay. So she goes on to say, quote, it is not a crime to protect our inherent treaty rights to be a protector of water of all those sacred elements. It's a crime to be in collusion with a foreign company, end quote. She's right. Um, so the organizers of this protest in Minnesota are also providing jail support. And there have been claims that northern Minnesota jails are abusing indigenous activists and allies, that their, their rights and lockup are being denied. Okay. No shock there. Uh, basically, as a veteran of Ferguson, I know too well what that is. Um, some of the water protectors that were arrested at what they call the two inlets pump station were held for more than 20 hours. They weren't booked, and they were denied prescription medications. There were people injured during arrest that were also being denied medical attention. Uh, their constitutional right to speak to an attorney had been deprived. So once again, in northern Minnesota, we have another Ferguson going on. I'll just say it. Okay. Now, The Intercept also reported that by the end of this May, Enbridge Corporation had reimbursed agencies and organizations, in other words, the police and certain organizations, um, to these public safety issues to the tune of over a million dollars, okay? Now, keep in mind, there's also been allegations that um, some people had been sexually assaulted by Line 3 pipeline workers as well. Now, most of, this, most of these funds have gone to local sheriff's offices, um, and it's gone to basically what they call field force training, in other words, gas masks, protective suits, you know, where they look like robocops, security holsters, a megaphone, and other things to, quote, ensure weapon retention for public safety line three responses. Now, if they had a megaphone, why did they need to issue a dispersal order with a helicopter? Just a thought. So, once again, um, this is all about big money. That's all it is. And you... You have to realize now, the president is also being pressured to, you know, take a position on line three, okay? Um, you know, President Biden canceled Keystone, at least temporarily, but line three is, would also cross an international border, and there would be hundreds of water bodies um, in between, all right? So... A lot of activists are calling Line 3, quote, a keystone clone, end quote. And again, it carries tar sands, crude from Alberta, Canada. And it's not going for fuel uh, needs here in the United States. It's going to export internationally. And again, the rights of these indigenous people are being violated. These treaties are being violated. Okay? Um, and then it get, the hypocrisy is something, too. Uh, so Line 3 cuts across these tribal treaty lands and what's called the Fond du Lac Indian Reservation. Okay, now, the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa did agree to allow Enbridge to build a pipeline in 2018. Um, but anyway, Paul Wagner, there's another quote here of Saanich First Nation, at the Mississippi River Treaty encampment. Quote, 
This is the hypocrisy of the Canadians now, especially Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who likes to make himself look like this big environmentalist. He's no such thing. He's a hypocrite. So to read this quote that was given by Paul Wagner of Saanich First Nation. Quote, this is all Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau oil. He was supposed to be a hero for the climate. He was supposed to be some kind of hero for truth and reconciliation for our people. Because our tribe is on that side of what they call the fictitious border in Canada. But he's just another politician with a pretty face sending out those colonial mistruths and lies. We're showing this colonial world that we have a sacred promise and we're going to show all those non-Indigenous treaty people, and maybe you need to adopt the sacred promise, too, for the circle of life, end quote. Okay, so, again, hypocrisy throughout, whether it's Judge Ebinger, whether it's the Prime Minister of Canada, our U.S. Congress, you name it. So, Will Parrish also wrote a piece, well, this was back in 2017, actually. Um, there were six water protectors that the U.S. wants to prosecute. I see this photo, and there's this elderly indigenous woman, and she's surrounded by these cops that are all in tactical gear. And, you know, she's, I guess they used a zip tie. And, and, you know, she looks like she's about 90, and it takes four of these big thugs to escort her. How cowardly is that? So, again, um, the feds have come into it. This is Standing Rock. Again, the water protectors. They are, um, and this was published in partnership with Shadow Proof. Back in 2017, a federal grand jury issued indictments. These were four Standing Rock water protectors. And here's the charge. Federal civil disorder. And then the use of fire to commit a federal crime. The federal civil disorder has a really vile history. It is the same charge that was used against uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and other black activists that were just fighting for equality and basic civil rights. Um, federal civil disorder is such a vague term. It should not exist at all. Okay, define the crime. I, I mean, that's what the law is supposed to do. In fact, most crimes have certain uh, criterion that have to be met. You know, when we talked about the crime of ecocide, there were two thresholds. Those are criterion that have to be met in order to declare that as a possible crime of ecocide. But the feds can make stuff up, federal civil disorder, very vague, and get away with it. Pure nonsense. So, again, they were, uh, these four people were accused, James White, Brennan Nastasio, Dion Ortiz and Brandon Miller Castillo. And they supposedly they set fire to three highway barricades. Okay. I don't know if it's true or not. These barricades obstructed police during this October 27th raid on the frontline camp right near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. And this was a really militarized type thing. Um, and the prosecutors are pursuing federal felonies also against a 38-year-old Ogallala Sioux woman named Red Fawn Fallis. They said she fired a gun during her arrest. But apparently she must be very talented because they, the police claim she fired a gun during her arrest as several officers had her pinned face down on the ground. She must really be Wonder Woman that here 
multiple, several police officers have this little woman pinned face down on the ground, but somehow she managed to fire a gun at them. I don't know. Maybe the bullet came out of her tuchus. That means her asshole. That, that just, it's such a stupid chart. But they get away with this lot. It is not physically possible to fire a gun as you're pinned face down on the ground. Okay. Um, all the people facing charges are indigenous. Red Fawn Salas faces 25 years or more in prison for a crime she didn't commit. Again, it is impossible to fire a gun when you are being restrained by several big policemen and your body and face are face down on the ground. Not physically possible. I just get so angry about this. This just reminds me of Ferguson all over again. The obvious lies. Okay. But because the feds got involved, it's more serious. All right. And the U.S. government, they're going to use their best attorneys from the Department of Justice. You may as well call it the Department of Injustice. Keep in mind, Donald Trump can incite insurrection against the government, the DOJ letting him get away with it, but Red Fawn Fallis is being accused of firing a gun while she's being restrained on the ground. I reiterate, it is physically impossible to fire a gun when you're being restrained face down and body down on the ground. Not possible. You would think the U.S. attorneys in North Dakota would know that. But then they filed this charge, federal civil disorder, which is pure garbage. The Water Protective, the Water Protector Legal Collective's attorney for Michael Marcus, one of the defendants, uh, someone named Sandra Freeman, uh, was quoted, quote, nobody I've worked with previously has ever seen that charge. It comes from a law that is usually only invoked when the federal government decides to prosecute people involved in resistance, like Dr. King. She didn't say that. I'm saying that. The National Lawyers Guild, um, the man named uh, Bruce Ellison, he's the lead attorney for Red Fawn Fallis, also agrees. Um, he's only seen the federal civil disorder charge a handful of times, including during federal prosecutions of the American Indian Movement activists who apparently reclaimed wounded knee. There was an armed standoff with federal and local police at Pine Ridge in 1973. Um, Ellison is also longtime attorney for political prisoner Leonard Peltier. Okay. This federal civil, what is it called again? Hold on a second, folks. I'm tired here. It's, this federal civil disorder is a garbage term. Okay. If, if a law school first-year student had tried to compose this, they would have been laughed out of school. So there were some records that were obtained through an open records request, and they showed that, hot, quote, high-level operatives, I'll just quote this, quote, high-level operatives within the U.S. domestic security state were involved in coordinating the enormous law enforcement mobilization against standing rock water protectors from last summer through early March of this year, end quote. Okay, so, you know, this started with the Trump administration and Biden's just letting it continue. Okay? 
And there have been officers from multiple federal agencies, the FBI, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the U.S. Marshal Service, U.S. Attorney's Office for North Dakota. They're, they were part of this interagency intelligence group. They were monitoring Standing Rock protests, and they were trying to you know, figure out who the instigators and the leaders of the movement were. Okay. In short, they were criminalizing constitutionally protected dissent. All right. And this is what our tax dollars going for. This is in conjunction with those fusion centers set up by the Department of Homeland Security, which I despise. Again, so let's talk about the October 27th raid that happened back in 2017 because the prosecutions are coming forward now. It takes time. Um, the camp, okay, so this happened on unceded Dakota territory, all right? And that was also affirmed in the 1851 Fort Laramie Treaty, part of the Standing Rock Reservation. There were over 300 police officers. Some of the officers were carrying M16 rifles. They had flak vests, and they went down the North Dakota Highway 1806 toward Osseti-Sakowin Camp, which is kind of the center of the water protectors' resistance to that particular pipeline. The police were also assisted by, um, or they flanked by what's called Max Pro Mine Resistant Ambush Protected Vehicle, MRAP. So this was basically a big tank that they used in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then the LRAD, the long-range acoustic device, which is basically to destroy your hearing. Keep in mind, even if you wanted to disperse, once the LRAD's done with you, you couldn't hear it anyway. This is just entrapment, nothing else. And then the police used tear gas and concussion grenades, rubber tip bullets, beanbag pellets, yada, yada, yada. All right. This is basically criminalizing dissent, especially when it happens when people of color and their white allies come together. That's all it is. And against big money, which is what um, the fossil fuel industry is, period. And this goes hand in hand with the revelations of the Exxon lobbyists bragging about how easy it is to get U.S. senators to do what they want them to do. Okay? Here's a really crazy story. There's a water protector who's facing federal felony charges for disarming um, one of the military contractors working with police. So Brent, that's Brennan Estachio, and he became a hero, actually. He disarmed a security worker who entered the camp, which the Osseti Sakowin camp, which really is where they pray and all that. He had an AR-15, okay? And the security guard's name was Kyle Thompson. And Mr. Thompson apparently went into the camp, drove into it. He pretended to be a water protector. Um, he had a long-nosed semi-automatic rifle and a 30-round clip in the passenger seat of his, of his truck. Mustachio spent like a half hour just trying to get Thompson to, get, to, to basically let go of the weapon. But he was also trying to calm other water protectors. Okay? Thompson works for a security company in Texas called Layton Security. And he did hand the gun, gun over to the Bureau of Indian Affairs officers. They did arrest him. But the North Dakota prosecutors refused to charge Thompson. Instead, they charged water protector Nastasio. Okay? And they charged Nastasio with, get this, felony terrorizing. Because he walked, because he very briefly walked towards Thompson with a hunting knife during the incident. But this guy's got 
like what, an automatic weapon on them? It's insane. This just shows the prejudice of law enforcement, the prejudice of the feds in all this, because they're going to protect big oil no matter what, because that's big money. Okay? The FBI has a role in suppressing opposition to the pipeline as well. Um, and again, the water protectors are not going to be dissuaded. They are maintaining that, quote, the real criminals at Standing Rock were the police and the oil company's private security firms who consistently use violent repression to sabotage constitutionally protected political activity, end quote. And it's true. Uh, last November, again, this was still during while Trump was in office, the police um, seriously hurt over 300 unarmed protesters and protesters that were being restrained as well. They sprayed water on them in freezing temperatures, and then they fired rubber bullets and concussion grades. Police, one police officer struck this 21-year-old woman named Sophia, Sophia Wilansky with a concussion grenade, and it nearly severed her forearm. Okay? And so another water protector drove her to the hospital. She went through emergency surgeries to try and save her arm. Um, the day after that, seven FBI agents, in, from, in two, including two that were in Joint Terrorism Task Force jackets, invaded her hospital room. They took articles of her clothing and shrapnel that came from her arm. They subpoenaed hospital visitor logs and videos of the room. And that visit, according to Walensky's father, was, quote, it, it, quote, created a chilling atmosphere where anyone who is a protester is under suspicion of being a terrorist, end quote. And it's true. And this is all outrageous. Absolutely outrageous because this is about big money. Make no mistake about it. The federal civil disorder charge, okay, was used, including against Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., okay? And that, that statute is what actually spurred Congress to pass the U.S. Civil Rights Act, okay? So... This is all about racism and big money. And, what, and again, we know there's too much information that's leaked out that shows that the climate devastation that we are going through and we will continue to go through came directly from fossil fuel. And that fossil fuel companies knew this for decades and covered it up. Okay. So... We now know, and this was, there was a piece by Fiona Harvey in The Guardian, um, climate scientists are worried about what they call tipping points because this, the international, I'm sorry, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, um, is also talking about it. They're preparing a report that will be published, but most of the report won't be published in time for policymakers at COP26, which are the UN climate talks that are going to take place this coming November in Glasgow. Um, but there was a draft of the IPCC report that was leaked to Agent France Press. And draft warns of a series of thresholds beyond which the climate cannot, cannot um, restore itself. The idea recovery from that kind of breakdown may be impossible. Um, to quote from the report, quote, life on Earth can recover from a drastic climate shift by evolving into new species 
and creating new ecosystems humans cannot. So the, the report's talking about a series of cascading events with really very serious repercussions. Think of the domino effect only applied to climate science. So I'm going to skip ahead here. <clears throat> um, I don't want people to think that this is beyond hope because then they'll just give up. We have to consider that this is, we have, to, we have to do something so that our children and our grandchildren have a future. We're being incredibly selfish. Um, you know, we have, they have a goal. There's a goal that was in the 2015 Paris Agreement, which was adopted by 200 nations to cap global warming at what they call, quote, well below 2 degrees centigrade and 1.5 degrees centigrade if possible. And to quote from this, they said, quote, on current trends, the world is heading for three degrees centigrade at best. Okay, so we are facing some irreversible consequences and we're blaming the wrong people. We should not be attacking water protectors. We should not be char criminally charging water protectors. We should be criminally charging fossil fuel executives, the lobbyists, the politicians on both sides of the political aisle that went along with this, and any judges that went along too. They should face criminal charges and mandatory incarceration because they're the ones that committed a massive conspiracy, not the water protectors. Now, I've got a lot more information. There's no way we're going to get through it all. And I apologize, but this is not the only time we're going to be talking about this. And I know I've been rambling a bit because the actual injustice of this all just makes my blood boil. I'm sorry, it just does. Um, even NASA's gotten into the, into the act. Um, according to The Guardian, just a few weeks ago, in a headline, scientists from agencies, in other words, from NASA and NOAA, say Earth's energy imbalance roughly doubled from 2005 to 2019 in an alarming way. In other words, we're trapping twice as much heat than we thought we were going to do, and we're in some big trouble here. And it's important. I know it seems complicated, but the more greenhouse gas emissions that we have, the more heat is trapped in the Earth's atmosphere, which in turn traps radiation that would otherwise move into space. And so basically what we're talking about is quite a bit of the global ice caps have melted. The perm, quite a bit of the permafrost that was thought to be impervious has melted. What is it going to take for people to understand and stop being so damn selfish? No, you don't need every member of the family to have their own individual car. Sorry, it's ludicrous. So basically there was another piece from Life Science on the estimated deaths annually caused by climate devastation, okay, which proves the bogus sentence of Judge Ebinger. Uh, written by Rachel Retner, who has a master's degree in journalism from NYU's Science, Health, and Environmental Reporting Program. She also has a Bachelor of Science in Molecular Biology and a Master of Science in Biology from UC uh, San Diego. And so what she's basically saying is that in the decades to come, more than a quarter million people could die every year as a result of climate change. According to this new review study, in 2014, the World Health Organization estimated climate change would, add, would lead to about a quarter of a million 
deaths each year between 2013 and 2015. And it wouldn't just be from heat, it would be from malnutrition, heat stress, and malaria because it's going to affect crops. A new review published past January in the New England Journal of Medicine said that this is a conservative estimate, that it's far worse because it doesn't take into account other climate-related factors like population displacement, others people that have to migrate because there's no water. And the co-author, Dr. Andrew Haynes, who's an epidemiologist and former director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, um, also explained this to CNN, explaining that um, other climate-related factors that would affect death rates besides population displacement would be reduction in labor because farmers couldn't farm. Um, and, you know, again, this doesn't even take into account the extreme weather and climate events like the wildfires in California and so on and so forth. There would be reduced food production, which would also lead to a net increase of over half a million deaths by 2050, and that's according to a 2016 study. And, again, world, as well as World Bank estimates, okay? Um, and so the report went on to say, quote, climate change is causing injuries, illnesses, and deaths, with the risk projected to increase substantially with additional climate change, threatening the health of many millions of people. The pervasive threats to health posed by climate change demand decisive actions from health professionals and governments to protect the health of current and future generations, end quote. And that was on Live Science. We have linkage here. We have judges like Judge Eppinger that have sentenced Jessica Reznicek and will sentence other water protectors for acts that really aren't much more than misdemeanors and should take no jail time at all. We watched as our injustice system pushes and further criminalizes what should be constitutionally protected dissent. We watched as the federal government reneges on treaties with indigenous peoples, the people that we took the land from them, but we're reneging on the trees even, on the little bit of land they have while we possibly poison their waters with tar sands pipelines. You know, we're watching the militarization of police who have basically attacked water protectors, including uh, one water protector who actually talked down a security guard that came in with dangerous weapons. They didn't charge Mr. Thompson, but they did charge the water protector. The prejudice that is being shown by law enforcement and by the courts is blatant. And everyone connected with those charges, those bogus charges, they're the ones that should face criminal investigation. They're abusing the law. So, you know, there's so much more. We're going to talk about this more. We're running out of time, and I couldn't go through it all. And I do apologize that I was very emotional. But, again, the injustice of this, I've got to get through to people to get you to understand. We're, dest we're destroying the planet. And when you talk to people, especially boomers, say, look, we're going to have to change our ways. We're going to have to give up cars. And they respond with a laugh, oh, that will never happen. The selfishness of that makes me want to scream. The obvious disparity between the sentencing of Jessica Reznicek and other water protectors when compared to the blatant crimes against humanity and against the planet, the crime of ecocide committed by the fossil fuel industry, 
their banking and Wall Street enablers, and members of the U.S. Senate and a series of presidents who have accepted, albeit legalized, bribes from the industry is beyond belief. The alleged crimes of Resnicek and other water protectors should never have been prosecuted beyond a misdemeanor at best and no jail time. The FBI, their garbage, cowardly terrorism task force, they know it. U.S. District Court Judge Rebecca Goodgame-Evinger knows it. And so does President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. They all know it. Once again, this massive miscarriage of justice against all the water protectors is just so reminiscent of Ferguson. It's so reminiscent of the crimes against Dr. King. It's so reminiscent of, yes, the crimes committed internationally by the Third Reich. There is very little difference. A crime against humanity, a crime against the planet is just that. And we should not, we should no longer tolerate the role of big money and their corporate attorneys as they make a mockery of justice and destroy what last shreds of democracy may still remain. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that we have to all refuse to comply. Maybe it's a general strike. Maybe it's a series of general strikes. But we have to let the moneyed interests know that no, you will not own us any longer. We outnumber them. We outnumber the police. We outnumber the military. All we have to do is stick together if not for ourselves and for our children and our grandchildren after that. We can no longer allow this wanton destruction of the planet because of insane greed. Corporate, the billionaire class, and yes, their political whores have to be stopped. The police have to be held accountable. The Department of Justice attorneys have to be held accountable. Where's Merrick Garland? He's supposed to be so fair-minded. Then fine, where is he? Hiding, I suspect. I don't think he has the spine for this. Again, my opinion. We have to hold all of them accountable. Because at the end of the day, if this planet becomes comes to the point where Life is unsustainable. It won't matter how much money Jeff Bezos has because he's going to have the same problem breathing and not, uh, he's going to have the same problem not being able to breathe as the rest of us. We have to demand better, period. And part of that starts with being allied and helping our brothers and sisters of color and helping our brothers and sisters or our water protectors protect all of us and pushing for the truth. This show, we expose environmental injustice, and we will continue to do so. As long as I have breath in my body, I wish I had an answer. But right now, we need to all stick together. We just do. Because all the money of Bezos doesn't equal our numbers. We have to stop being selfish and realize that damage has been done to poorer nations and that we owe them. 
We owe them reparations. We owe the world reparations. And yes, reparations should come from the rich. I said it. I don't know what's in the future. I don't know if we can fix this. I'd like to think that we could. I suspect the way things are going now, our best hope is to be able to buy enough time so the future generation can come up with something better. But that means we have to end fossil fuel use now. And the part of that, we did a show last week about demanding an end to fossil fuel subsidies. That could be an important first step. And then putting subsidies into solar and wind so people like me and you, so we can actually have something that's renewable. We'll be talking about this again. And with that, I say good night and God bless.